Uh, We're going to dive into it. Ephesians, walk this way. This is part seven. We've been working through this small book, this letter to the Ephesians. And uh, if you remember, we started last week kind of on the downhill side, so to speak, of Ephesians. We turned the corner. We're now into the practical section of Ephesians. Um, We're here in chapter five. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Ephesians chapter five. We're going to look at the first half of chapter five, continuing uh, as Paul is now outlining the the practical expressions, the practical application to this deep theology of saving grace and uniting grace and what that looks like in our everyday lives. So we're going to Ephesians chapter 5. When you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Ephesians chapter 5. And before we even begin to read, let's just lift up our hearts in prayer once again. Father in heaven, God, we, we want to approach your word as, as has already been prayed that we would approach it with humility. And I think it's in Isaiah 60 or uh, 66 that um, the one who trembles at your word is the one that you look upon. And so we, we want to approach your word, letting our words be few and letting your word be large in our hearts. So please speak to us in Jesus' saving and precious name with the family saying, Amen. Amen. All right. So here we are, Ephesians chapter 5. And really, um, Paul has started his practical stuff in chapter 4. He, as we looked at last week, he, he's talking about this radical break between the old life and the new, what we put off and what we put on, things like that. And it's really a call to, to walk worthy. It's a call to live the life of holiness. And in chapter 5, verse 1, it's kind of a, a hinge text, almost like a midstream summary of what he's trying to say. Romans, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, the New King James says it like this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. That's really what it boils down to. Everything that Paul is trying to say, hey, this is how to live, this is how not to live. What it really boils down to is just be like God. <laughs> Imitate him, follow him like a little kid would follow his father. The word is literally mimetes, which is the, the word that we get the Greek, or sorry, the English word mimic, okay? It's copycat, you know, be like God. Uh, find someone that you love to emulate and, and, and someone that you admire and just try to be like that person. I don't know who you tried to, to imitate when you were growing up. I grew up in the 80s. I'm, I'm an 80s child. And so um, I remember first having interest in, in basketball and the National Basketball Association. And around that time, there was this upstart who, who started this slam dunk competition with Dominic Wilkins. His name was Michael Jordan. You remember this? Maybe some of you remember this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, the kids have been watching, it, or watching basketball these days. They've been growing up with this guy named Steph, Steph Curry. And so they, they shoot from way far from the rim. But I had to give them a little history lesson of, you know, how to how to hold out your tongue and jump from the free throw line and all these kinds of things. Anyways, but uh, I remember in the early 90s, there was this Gatorade commercial that came out. To be like Mike, if I could be like Mike. Um, anyway, so anytime I would uh, ball it up with my brother, I'd, you know, my tongue was always hanging out and I was always jumping from the free throw line. But uh, who, who is it that, that you imitated growing up? I remember the first time it dawned on me, I was thinking I was a sophomore in college, it dawned on me, I was starting to tell jokes like my dad. Uh. That was strange. <laughs> like I would kind of ease into it with this, 
Anyway, just a certain way that my dad would. And not too long ago, um, I realized that around the dinner table, <clears throat> we were laughing and joking and things like that. And um, suddenly my, my kids start telling me exactly how I'm going to laugh. They, they have been observant enough to realize that when I'm trying to hold something in, I look a certain way and then I do this and do that. And then the other day I was reading a, a Bible story to my kids in bed and um, I said something like, hmm. And then Jacob finished my sentence. <laughs> I said, hmm. And then he says, interesting. Exactly like I... <laughs> Anyways, oh boy. It's, uh, it's fun to watch your kids imitate you. It can be very humbling and sobering too, depending on what it is that they're imitating. The reality is though, when Paul is saying imitate God, he's not just saying imitate me, imitate Moses, imitate Apollos, imitate Peter. He's saying imitate God, follow him and imitate him as a dear child would, as a child who's in his presence, as a child who has relationship, as a child who admires the father. Do this like a dear child would. So essentially, this call to put things off and to put things on, this call to live a holy life, this call to walk worthy of grace is really a call to be God's child. You understand that? The call to holiness is a call to a relationship. It's a call to be God's child. And I love the way that it's phrased here in very simple words. Therefore, be imitators of God, as, what does your Bible say? As what kind of children? Dear. Yeah, mine says dear children. Does anybody else have it differently? Beloved. Beloved children. Awesome. Okay. So this is really talking about children who are dear or loved. In other words, children who have received God's agape grace in their lives. In fact, um, the word for children here is, is not your normal, like, uh, word for sons and things like that that you would find in genealogy. So it's not talking about biological descent. It's actually talking about willful dependence. That's the word for children here. Dear children. So imitate God as children who are loved. Imitate God as children who are completely dependent upon the Father. And so what does this look like? Paul is going to explain it. He's going to describe three ways that kids walk in the pattern of their father. All right, so in the next few verses from 2 through all the way to 21 is what we're going to study today. We're going to look at three practical expressions of this childlike imitation. When we want to be like, when we want to be like God, what does that look like? How do God's children walk? All right, so as God's dear children, this is walk number one, you can call it. God's children walk in love. Let's read it together here. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. The Bible says, and walk in love. As Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Why should we walk in love? Because that's how God walks. God walks in love. This is, if we're trying to imitate God, if we're trying to be his kids, then this is primary characteristic walk in love. And what do we know about this love? Well, first of all, this love is unnatural. That's why in order to really understand this love, we have to look outside of ourselves, right? Verse 2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us. We don't know what love is unless we look to Jesus, unless we look to Jesus. And that's, it's only possible as we receive God's love as his beloved children. What else do we know? Okay, so this love is unnatural, yes, but it's also, according to verse 2, it's also sacrificial. Do you notice that? 
as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. So really, walking in love means literally giving ourselves, giving our lives, our attention, our our resources for the sake of someone else. And while that may not always be easy or pleasant, we know that it deeply pleases the Father, right? Just like a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, in the subsequent verses, verses 3 through 6, Paul is starting to describe what love is not. Love is not these things. Let's start in verse 3. It says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is actually pretty heavy when you read into this. This is, this is stuff that, well, Paul is essentially, he's highlighting, hey, we need to walk in love, not walk in lust. That's essentially what Paul is saying. If walking in love is to give of ourselves to others, then all of these behaviors that he describes in pretty clear language, all of these behaviors are really taking from others. That's what all of those things are. And I don't know, you know, walking in love is, Paul is very specific about these things. And sometimes I wonder if we underestimate the deep moral depravity that people in Paul's day were coming from. I mean, these are Gentile believers. In other words, they were familiar with worship. They were familiar with religion and things like that. But they were familiar with religion and worship of a completely different nature. I mean, these people were coming from a culture that, um, you know, the giving and using of our bodies and sexuality was actually all in the name of pleasure and all in the name of religion. It was actually a form of so-called worship. This is really sad to to think about. We don't need to get into more specific conversation than Paul gives us here. The reality is that that Paul isn't just going to assume that people get it. He's not just going to assume that people understand that when you believe in Jesus, you break from these worldly practices and things. He's actually going to specify, and that's what he's doing here. You, You read about stuff that he specifies in Romans and Corinthians and all these kinds of things. Why? Because he knows that all these behaviors have no correspondence to the Christian life. All right. Has no fit with their new life in Christ. Being a dearly loved child means that we walk not in sensual pleasure, but in sacrificial love. It means that we don't just take from others in order to please ourselves, but we give of ourselves in order to please others. That's, that's what sacrificial love is all about. To think anything else um, is, is really empty deception, right? Verse 6, let no one deceive you. With empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons, okay, different kind of children, the sons of disobedience. So here, this, this, there's another lineage, so to speak. It's a lineage of disobedience. It's a lineage of indulgence. It's a lineage of lust, but we belong to a lineage of love, sacrificial love, being children of God. So walk number one, as God's dear children, we walk in love, giving of ourselves, sacrificially giving of ourselves as Christ would. All right, how about number two? Walk number two, as God's dear dear children, we also walk in light. Let's read it in verse eight. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as what? Children of 
light. Walk as children of light. Here, Paul introduces kind of another metaphor that really highlights the break from what was and what now is because of Jesus, right? What was, we used to walk in darkness, but now we're light in the Lord. You know, light is our, I love, I love how Paul uses this. We are children of light, meaning we're not just surrounded by light. We're not just in light or around light. We are of light. Like that's our, that's our origin now. <laughs> because of saving grace, we're no longer children of disobedience or children of darkness or like in Ephesians chapter 2, children of wrath. We are children of light. I want that to sink in. What does that mean? If I want to be a child of God, that means I'm a child of light. What does that mean? To be a child of light. You know, the light-darkness metaphor is, is really a metaphor that's used all throughout Scripture. I mean, even from the very beginning, talking about light and dark in Genesis chapter 1, it, that kind of becomes the basis for understanding that God is the producer of light. He dispels darkness, all these kinds of things. But what we want to know, or at least what we do know from Paul in this context, there are certain things he wants to emphasize about what it means to be a child of light. So take a look at verse 9. In verse 9 it says, For the fruit, at least this is how the New King James says, For the fruit of the Spirit, maybe your version says, For the fruit of light is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So one thing that we do know when Paul says that you're a child of light He's telling us that you live a fruitful life. You live a, a life that produces fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, all goodness, all righteousness, all truth. In other words, a child of light will literally brighten others' lives because they're bringing out all that's good and right and true in life. I mean, there's something about, oh man, light in Colorado is different than light in the Central Valley of California. I don't know if you, anyways, light filters through lots of layers of, I don't know what that is in Central California, but it, there are different colors here in Colorado. And that's what light does. It just, it just opens up new perspectives and dimensions of what is real. Children of light, when they show up, we, we bring out all the goodness, what's right and what's true in light. That's what walking in light is. I heard a story. Maybe you've heard a story. It's a video that's gone, kind of gone viral, at least on my Facebook feed. It has. Um, there's a man who tells a story of walking through the Minneapolis airport, Terminal D, and he walks up to a, a Starbucks because he's got a few extra minutes before getting to his flight. And there's this lady, barista, who is serving coffee. <laughs> Her name is Lily. I don't know if you've seen this anyways, but he just is blown away by her because she takes such interest in him. It's Christmas Eve. He just realized that his father has a terminal illness, and so he's going home with a heavy heart. But somehow or another, he feels like full because of the conversation that he has with this lady, Lily. He goes back to, to, the, to the Starbucks stand and says, Lily, how, how do you do this? How, I mean, how, how do you pay such individual attention to someone when you're just serving coffee? What's your, what's your secret? And she says, I'm not serving coffee. I'm pouring happiness. <laughs> you know, that's what children of light do. They realize that, yeah, sure, there's a lot of dark stuff in this world. There's a lot of heavy stuff in this world. But children of light, we bring out what's good and right and true. Why? Because that's what God did. 
He is light. In him there is no darkness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Children of light have an illuminating effect on others. They make things manifest. According to verse 13, did you see it there? Uh, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For, for whatever makes manifest is light. In other words, children of light dispel the shadows of this dark world. Not just by pointing out everything that's dark, but by pointing out everything that's bright. You know, there's a difference there, right? Um, I mean, it, it does talk about, you know, exposing things here in verse 13. But did you notice in verse 12, it says, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. In other words, children of light can expose darkness, not necessarily by speaking about everything that's dark and untrue and false and shameful, but by just bringing out what's best. I've heard it said, Ellen White, I, I didn't, Ah, specify the, the, quote, uh, the reference, but she says, the best way to dispel darkness is to admit light. Yeah? And I think this is something that, especially just in my experience, um, I think Adventists can somehow have a tendency to get really good at pointing out what's false and pointing out what's dark. But I tell you what, the best way to combat darkness is to admit light. Be a child of light. Be a child of light. And in verse 10, there's, there's something else that Paul highlights here in verse 10. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. In other words, children of light are constantly discovering what pleases God. They're constantly asking God, what more? How, how, how else can I reflect your glory? What else is pleasing and acceptable to you? Children of light don't assume that everything around us that can be absorbed should be absorbed. <laughs> children of light understand how to have active and appropriate filters in order to bring out what's best. I, I want to be a child of light. How about you? I want to be a child of light. This world needs more lilies who pour happiness, not just serve coffee. This world needs more children of light to dispel darkness, especially in these dark, dark times. And the reality is, in verse 14, Paul kind of draws a cause and effect relationship here for us. Where does this light come from? Verse 14, therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This light isn't something about what's in you. No, this light is about who Jesus is and the fact that he lives in us. You know, we can only walk as children of light when we've been resurrected to newness of life. That's why it says, arise from the dead, awake you who sleep. Only when we've experienced the resurrection power of Jesus can we truly be a child of light. Like the five wise virgins of Matthew 25, we bear light when we experience the resurrecting power of God's spirit. Let's be a child of light. <clears throat> All right, so God's dear children, they walk in love. They walk in light. But what else? They walk in wisdom. They walk in wisdom. Let's read it. Verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. See then, I'm just going to read through actually from 15 all the way down to 21 because there's a lot of dynamics to wisdom. I mean, just read Proverbs for a little bit. There's a lot of dynamics to wisdom. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God. Sorry, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. There's a lot of wisdom there. As you're just kind of filtering through, look at, just lock your eyes in again. What are the dynamics of wisdom here? Well, according to verse 15, walking in wisdom tells us to walk circumspectly. At least that's how the New King James talks, uh, de- uh, describes it. Maybe other versions say, walk, watch carefully. And that's really what the word is talking about. Walking in wisdom is to walk with eyes that are looking carefully, looking uh, and probing with intense exactness, assuming little rather than assuming much like a fool would. In verse 16, walking in wisdom also involves something about our time. Right? Verse 16, it says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Do you redeem time? I don't know, maybe you pass time. Maybe you spend time. But what if time is something that needs to be redeemed? It's really interesting. I I was listening to a podcast recently and it just kind of dawned on me that people didn't start saying that they have spent time doing this or I don't have time to spend here only as a result of the Industrial Revolution. This is actually something that really didn't process through our minds or our worldview until that time. In other words, uh, time became, only recently, in recent centuries, time became something that we spent because we saw it as a commodity that was ours. When in reality... Time is a gift from God. And this gift is something that we have squandered. This gift is something that we have allowed the enemy of souls to usurp from us. And for that reason, time, the gift from God that should be used for his glory, time is something that has become enslaved and it needs to be redeemed. Redemption language is slave talk. That's slave trade language. In other words, time is enslaved to our selfish will and to the will of the enemy of souls. And it needs to be bought back. It needs to be redeemed. Why? Because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. Our time needs to be freed up, not to do our selfish will or Satan's will, but to do God's will. That's what it is to walk in wisdom. In other words, if we're not redeeming time, we're walking like fools. (laughs) Nobody wants to be a fool. I don't want to wake up saying, I want to be a fool today. No, none of us says that. So how do we walk in wisdom? Well, one, we walk circumspectly. Two, we redeem the time. But we need to redeem the time understanding what God's will is. That's why verse 17 follows right away. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Wow. How many times do you ask God that question? God, what is your will right now? I don't know, that's a question that, that we often ask, especially in times of um, unclarity or uncertainty. Or maybe, maybe you found that there are seasons in your life where it's a question that you neglect to ask. I mean, I think when we, when we talk about God's will, I think we can look at it in two levels. One, there's the general will of God that we know is his divine purpose. We read scripture and we see that God's heart His will is that all should be saved, that all should come to repentance and to belief in him, right? We know that that's God's general will. We have an idea of his will through the Ten Commandments to love God and to love others as we would love ourselves, these kinds of things. But when it comes to our specific day-to-day, 
does God have not just a general will, but does he have a plan and purpose for you and me today? I mean, is that selfish thinking to think that God has made plans just for you? What if he has? What if he has? And what if part of redeeming the time and walking in wisdom is to actually ask God, what is your will for me today? Question I want us to consider is how seriously and intentionally do we personally seek the will of God on an everyday level? On an everyday level. Not too long ago, I read this awesome quotation from Desire of Ages about Jesus' example. Can you imagine Jesus asking God what the will, what his will is for that day? I mean, sometimes we think Jesus just knows, you know? <laughs> Jesus just looks at a person, he reads that person's heart. But when Jesus was on this earth, he was a dependent son, dependent upon the Father. Notice this. Uh, but the Son of God was surrendered to the Father's will. This is uh, Desire of Ages, page 208. It's actually in reference to John chapter 5, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the religious, leader, religious leaders and saying, hey, of myself, I do nothing of my own initiative. Without God, I can do nothing of myself. Okay? So, but the Son of God was surrendered to the Father's will and dependent upon his power. So utterly was Christ emptied of self that he made how many plans for himself? No plans for himself. Think about this. Okay. <laughs> Jesus made no plans for himself. Well, then how did he go about doing so much good, 24-7, this and that? He accepted God's plans for him. And day by day, the Father unfolded his plans. So should we depend upon God that our lives, I love this, that our lives may be the simple outworking of his will. I want to walk in wisdom. <laughs> I want to redeem the time. Oh, man. And in one of my favorite books, Steps to Christ, this very practical prayer, she says, consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first work. Not your last work, but your first work. Let your prayer be Take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide with me and let all my work be wrought in thee. This is a daily matter. Each day, consecrate yourself to God for that day. Surrender all your plans to him to be carried out or given up as his providence shall indicate. Ooh. Easier said than done sometimes. God, I have this plan to do this today. I prepared this sermon all week for, to sound like this today. But are you willing to just say, okay, I'll surrender all of this to let your providence do as you so desire. Man, how many plans have we concocted for our lives, for our own hearts, for our own homes? And are we willing to say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Make this a daily matter. Make this a daily matter. The reality is to walk in wisdom is to walk in God's will. And to walk in God's will means we are constantly communing with God about what his will is. That's why the very next verse talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because without this communion with God, without responding positively and intently uh, to the promptings of the Spirit, we have no way to walk in wisdom. Verse 18 says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Maybe it's safe to say that walking in wisdom actually boils down to being filled with the Spirit. I can see that. If I'm filled with the Spirit, yeah, I'll walk in wisdom. I'll walk in God's will. I'll walk understanding the time, redeeming the time because the days are evil. When I'm filled with the Spirit, and I love, I mean, we, a few months ago when we were in the midst of a, our series on the Holy Spirit, we looked at this verse particularly. This command, be filled, can literally be translated, constantly be filled. Keep being filled. Why? Because we are leaky vessels. <laughs> and we need to constantly be filled with God's Spirit. Part of being filled with His Spirit is, on the negative side, being emptied of anything that would inhibit our capacity to respond to the Spirit. Right? That's why verse 18 is prefaced with it. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Things that flow out of this life with the Spirit, in verses 19, 20, and 21, actually show us what begins to happen when we are constantly, daily, personally filled with the Spirit. It's a picture of fellowship, right? Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I love that. And so this is fellowship that's not just social, It's fellowship that is deeply spiritual. That happens only when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're part of a community that is filled with the Spirit. What else happens? Verse 20, giving thanks always. You mean even when I'm tempted to complain? Yeah, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, when we're filled with the Spirit, God fills us with an awareness of how much He's given us. God fills us with an awareness of the grace that he's constantly pouring out to us. That's why we can give thanks always, even in those trying circumstances, even in those dark circumstances. And in verse 21, another result of being filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wow. Submission to one another. When we're filled with the Spirit, guess what we're emptied of? (laughs) We're emptied of ourselves. And only then do we have the capacity to actually submit to one another, to give of ourselves to one another, not to be so defensive of our rights, but rather protective of others' rights. And if this is all part of walking in wisdom, then maybe foolishness is to not submit to each other. When you find yourself not submitting to each other, um, ask God to redeem you of your foolishness. Uh, this is <laughs> this is something that has become kind of like a joke in our family um, when we find our kids uh, kind of being combatant or resistant to uh, one of our wishes or instructions. Um, I've come up with this line. Say, <laughs> Mommy, I will heed your wisdom. Forgive me for my foolishness. <laughs> Anyways, it just makes everybody laugh at it, but really, that, that's what's going on. When we refuse to give of ourselves to the other, when we f- refuse to submit to one another, maybe that's actually walking in foolishness after all. So three ways to walk. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom. And... Uh, As you look at these walkways, I don't know what you want to call it, as you look at these ways that God's kids walk, uh, what what is the walk that you feel is a a lack in your life? Is it the love? Is it the light? Is it the wisdom? I know for me personally, I just, I want to walk in all of this. How many of you want to walk this way? Yeah. To be a child of God. 
that walks in love, walks in light, walks in wisdom. I want to go back to something that we said at the beginning, that this call to walk worthy, this call to live a holy life, is essentially a call to be God's child. In other words, when Paul calls us, or when the scriptures call us to a holy life, really it's an invitation to a life with God, a relationship with God. In other words, when we are God's children, this is how we'll live. When I am a son of God, when I am a daughter of God, this is how I'm going to be. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to walk in light. I'm going to walk in wisdom. And so maybe the necessary question is, how then do I become a child of God? (laughs) Right? How do I become that? Is it by trying harder? Is it by signing some adoption papers somewhere at an office that I don't know of? No. In Ephesians chapter 1, actually just a few pages earlier, Paul has already told us that we're adopted. Chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. In other words, this is God's design. This is God's desire that we would be sons and daughters of God. He's already predestined it. In other words, that he's, he's already made prior provision everything necessary for us to become part of his family, for us to become a son and daughter, not of wrath, but of God, has been made. That's why he's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Right? He's already done everything needed to make us his children. I love it. It's 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the sons of God. This is already something that God has declared over us. This is already something that he has made provision for us through Jesus Christ. Becoming a child is not some arduous task. Becoming a child is something we receive. Did you hear me? Becoming a child of God is something we receive. I think John says it best. John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, As many as receive Jesus, there's a precious gift. Do I look and stare at it? Do I admire its wrapping? No, I receive that gift. To them, he gave the right. Some versions say the power to become children of God to those who believe in his name. How do I become a son of God? How do I become a daughter of God? How do I become a child who walks in love, light, and wisdom? I receive Jesus. I receive Jesus, which means that any hesitancy or resistance to walking in love, to walking in light, to walking in wisdom, to walking as a child of God would, any resistance to that would be a resistance to receive Jesus. (laughs) I don't want to resist. Don't resist. (laughs) Receive Jesus today. Receive the right to become his dearly loved child who walks this way. It's his work not ours, to live in love, to live in light, to live in wisdom. You know, one of my favorite verses that I remember as I was starting my devotional experience, or at least kind of experiencing devotions for the very first time in high school, one of the very first verses I I remember reading was Psalm 4610. It says, be still and know that I am God, right? And I've often understood that in the context of just be quiet enough, be, be, you know, don't be so distracted by all things, just kind of focus on the word, be still and know that he is God. But really, when you read Psalm 46 in its context, it's talking about war. <laughs> it's talking about battles. 
And I think it's the New American Standard Bible that says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. And maybe when it comes to the life of holiness, of, of love and light and wisdom, you feel like that's a battle for you. That's, a, that's hard to put off things and to put on new things. And that, that's a struggle. Well, I would encourage you today, cease striving. Let God be God. And you just be his kid that receives holiness from him, that receives the life of light and love and wisdom. Will you receive Jesus today? Cease striving, be still, and know, oh, he is God. He's the one who makes me holy. Hey, we're going to close with the song today. And if it's your desire to receive Jesus, I would encourage you to accept the invitation to be still. Let's, let's, let's uh, stand together. If it's your desire to, to be still and let him do the work living out his light in us.